Welcome to the South Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. I was going about my business just living life. We, we planted fields and we tended to our flocks. My family was all around. And then this crazy thing happened. It's hard to describe, but God, God Most High spoke to me, to little old me. And he said, I want you to go. I want you to do the unthinkable. I want you to leave all of this behind. I want you to to leave your family and your nation and your people, and I'm going to bring you on a journey with me to an unknown land. But then he, he followed that up with a promise. See, he promised to me that he would make me a great nation, that I would have inheritance that would spread across the whole earth. And that blew my mind because, you see, I was married to Sarai, a barren woman. <laughs> that promise, it, got, it captured me. And I, I decided, I, I believe. And so I set out on this journey to go follow this strange God to a strange land. The, oh, the famine was just unbelievable. There was no water. It swept all the way across the countryside. Turns out, inheriting a land wasn't as easy as it sounded before the journey. Now we had nothing to eat. And I figured this promise couldn't actually happen if I died, so I probably needed to do something about it. So I grabbed my family and my immediate kin, and we went down to Egypt to find food. As, as we approached Egypt, I remembered something that I'd heard once, that, that the Egyptians weren't always super friendly to outsiders. So I said, uh-oh, my wife's extremely beautiful, and when, when they notice her, they're going to kill me and try and take her for themselves. So I asked her, you know, just tell them a little white lie. Just say that I'm, I'm your brother. And at first, this plan really worked well because <laughs> sure enough, Pharaoh, uh, my wife got Pharaoh's attention. He took her into her home and he started lavishing me as her brother with all these gifts. But then somehow he, he found out that she was more than just my sister. It could have been the plague that hit his household. But... He came to me and said, what have you done to me? You've deceived me. And I apologized and I explained myself. And so he gave me some more gifts to sort of like appease the gods that he didn't understand. And he sent me off. <laughs> and, I, and I started figuring out that, okay, following this God was going to have a different set of rules than I had expected. Time just kept ticking <laughs> and ticking and ticking, and one, one of these days, God showed up, and he, he reiterated his promise, and I was like, okay, God, but you may not have noticed this, but we don't have any kids. How am I supposed to fulfill this promise? We almost lost the promise in Egypt because I almost died, we, uh, uh, but now the thing that threatens the promise is the fact that I have no kids. Please just take my, my servant, Eliezer. 
Let him be the one that has kids. And then by proxy, by relationship, I'll sort of adopt this. And maybe that's how your promise is going to happen. And God said, no, no, no. I'm going to make a promise to you. And the promise is going to come from your flesh and your blood. And then he took me outside and he said, look at the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. It was awesome. My hope started to spark. Could it? Could it be? <laughs> well, hope has this funny th- way of disappearing when time continues to tick. And we still didn't have any kids. And my wife, Sarai, <laughs> she could ten- sell, tell that I was starting to get a little bit tense. Where's this child? Where's this promise? And then she, no- she said something to me that I hadn't even thought of before. She said, well, the promise was that it would be flesh, your flesh and blood. And so I know she was just trying to help me out, but she said, well, why don't, maybe it's not my flesh and blood. Why don't I give you my maidservant, Hagar, and you can have a child with her and I'll adopt the child. And that's how the promise is gonna happen. It made so much sense. My flesh and blood. So I went into Hagar and she became pregnant. And I was gonna have... I was going to have a son. I was going to be a dad for the first time after all these years. And the promise was on the horizon. I was so excited. It didn't go perfectly, admittedly, because as soon as my wife found out that Hagar was pregnant, Hagar started like rubbing it in. And it just created so much tension between the two of them. And so I told my wife, just do whatever you think is right. So she started just picking on Hagar, and then Hagar ran away. And the worst part, she took the boy, my boy, my promise, my hope, my dream. She took my boy, but God in his grace returned the child to me, and the promise was preserved. Along the way, God came and reiterated his promise to me again, and he told me, that's not the promise. Ishmael, your firstborn son, isn't the promise. It's actually going to be from your flesh and your blood and Sarah's flesh and blood. And I was just dumbfounded. I said, well, but why? I don't understand. What is going on here? I thought that this was the direction, and I just didn't understand. Getting to know the character of this God was really confusing, but I was trying. I was trying to understand him. And there was this time that God visited me again. I felt like it was an opportunity. I felt like I was starting to get to know him because he showed up and he said, you know what, Abraham, I've heard the cry of the needy and I've heard the cry of the oppressed and Sodom and Gomorrah are committing oppression and atrocities against the needy and the poor and the the down and out. And I'm going to go and I'm going to take them out. And... I don't know what prompted me, but it was kind of a terrifying idea. But I, I said, but wait, God, what if, what if the city has some righteous people in it? What, what if there's some good people there in that city? So I had the audacity and I thought maybe I was kind of getting to know him. And so I said, I asked him, what about those people? And he said, I won't destroy the city if there's righteous people there. And he, 
I talked him down all the way to 10, only 10 righteous people in the city and he would protect it. Oh, this was a good God. And that also meant that my nephew Lot was gonna be safe. And man, God let me negotiate with him? Wild. Who is this God? So we had another boy, or I had another boy. My wife, Sarah, actually bore a son. We were, she was a barren woman to start with, and then she was long past the years of childbearing, and God's promise to our flesh and our blood came true, and we had Isaac. But there was this problem, this tension, this decision that I'd made before kept on coming back and nagging me, tension between her and Hagar, and my, boy, my youngest son and my oldest son continued to, to rise, and so Sarah asked me to send her away with Ishmael. And, and I was just distraught to send my child away. Who, who would do such a thing? And God said, no, do it. Send him away. Don't worry about him. I'm gonna take care of him. I'll make him a nation, but I have another way. So I sent the child that I thought was my promise off into the wilderness. Well, good morning. <laughs> it's me now. Um, so uh, welcome to South Fellowship Church. My name is Aaron Bjorklund. I am one of the pastors here and we're in this series entitled Ordinary Time. Um, Thanks for joining us. Uh, I know that's a little bit different of a start to a message, but it gives us some context. We'll get back to those stories in a moment. We're in this series entitled Ordinary Time, where we're celebrating all the everyday uh, things of life. We're celebrating how God's grace shows up in everything, right? We, Jake already talked about that. This was the lyrics we sang this morning. It's there in the mountaintop, there in the everyday and the mundane, there in the sorrow and the dancing, your great grace, oh such grace. So today is an important day to me. It's my anniversary today, and that's an everyday and maybe it's not so mundane, but uh, Teresa, I'm gonna steal a joke. She told me, your, your marriage is finally an adult. We're 18 years in, and so our marriage is finally an adult, and that's exciting. And God's grace has been saturated through it all, his kindness and his goodness. And so this is part of what this series is about, is just exploring and unearthing God's goodness and his grace in the everyday and the mundane. So if you weren't here last week, that's what we're doing. Oh, we're also going through the lectionary, um, and I'm not going to give you any details on that. Um, last week, I gave all sorts of details. If you have questions about why are we doing the lectionary, what is the lectionary, all that stuff, I encourage you to go back, listen to last week's message. We go into uh, depth there. Uh, but we also have this little booklet. If you brought yours back from last week, I'd encourage you to pull it out. Uh, if you didn't and you'd still like one, there's some back here that Teresa can bring you if you want to raise your hand and grab these. This is what this is for. During this series, we want to continually strengthen our listening to the Holy Spirit muscles. And so what, we're, what I'm asking you to do is as the sermon continues, as the morning continues, as you have conversation in the lobby, ask the Spirit, speak to me. What's the one thing? What's the one thing that you want me to take into action today? What's the one posture? What's the one phone call, the encouraging word that I need to take today? And write it down in that little notebook. And the reason we want to document this is later in this series, we kind of want to just share with each other what God's been speaking to our church community. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that later in this series. Um, 
Also, uh, we have a podcast here, and I forgot to put in the slide somehow, but we have a podcast here. This, the the uh, phone number's here if you want to ask questions about the message today. Uh, but we are in the lectionary, and I'm actually going to have you stand for the reading of God's Word as we read our passage, our lectionary text for this morning, and then we'll dive in to the remainder of our story. Um, yeah. I'm not going to put it on the slides this week. I'm not smart enough to slide and read at the same time. It's just not in my capacity. So we're just going to read, listen to God's word over us. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Early in the morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. And he, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up to his father. He said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together when they reached the place God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him now. I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided for. And before you sit, I just want to pray this prayer together as we sit before Scripture. And if you're willing to pray this with me, let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, as we kicked off the series, Ordinary Time, I talked about the nature of scriptures. As we go through the lectionary, we're starting to see some of the interconnectedness of the scriptures. And uh, I was just telling you how beautiful that was to me and how exciting that was. And this was the graphic I showed you last, last week. Um, 
Every line down here, if you missed it last week, represents a biblical verse, and this is the interconnectedness of the scriptures, and it just blows my mind. And I thought this week as I opened the text to the lectionary and read the passage that was on the list for us today, I said, oh my goodness, this text is a prime example of how interconnected the scriptures are with each other. And so I thought of this illustration for you today. We're Coloradans, at least most of us are Coloradans, um, and you may have heard that this aspen grove is not just an individual organism and an individual organism. Instead, it's all one organism. The entire forest is a single organism. And what's cool about this and how this relates to the Hebrew scriptures is, is as I walk up to a tree, I can appreciate and admire it for what it is. I can see its trees and its bark and I can analyze it and there's goodness in that. But if I were to dig down beneath the surface, I would find a root system that connects to another tree. And this is how the Hebrew scriptures, actually all the scriptures, but especially the Hebrew text is functioning. All of these texts are interwoven with each other in incredible ways. And if you are willing to take the time to meditate on them, then they are the gift that just keep on giving over and over again. This is what I would like to call, as I got this I think from Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, meditative literature. It's, it's a text that yes, you can sit down in front of and read and have some quiet time with the Lord and the Spirit of God enlighten it for you and you learn something and your heart is quickened. But also if you choose to meditate on it for a lifetime, you will never come to the end of the beautiful interconnectedness of the root system of the scriptures. And our text today is prime example of that. And the reason that's gonna be helpful for us to, today is to address one of the challenges that this chapter offers both theologians and us. And if you didn't pick up on it, maybe you will after I tell you a little bit about Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, Ethan actually turned me on to Soren Kierkegaard this week. Kierkegaard actually wrote a book called Fear and Trembling all about this story. And it, this story messed with his head. Uh, he and Immanuel Kant are some of the early uh, thinkers, philosophers, and, and theologians that wrestled with this passage. And it has dumbfounded rabbis and theologians and philosophers for uh, generation after generation. And when I opened it to the lectionary, I found out, wow, this is one of the most contested uh, interpretive challenges in the Hebrew scriptures. And there's about 10 evangelical commentator interpretations that I found, and some of them are completely contradictory to each other. And it was really, really challenging. And part of it's because of the problem that Kierkegaard had with this text. And that's child sacrifice. He's like, what is up with this? He said it this way. Uh, if you can track with Kierkegaard, great. You're doing better than me. It is supposed to be difficult to understand Hegel, but understanding Abraham is a trifle. To go beyond Hegel is a miracle, but to get beyond Abraham is the easiest thing in the world. I, for my part, have devoted a good deal of time understanding Hegelian philosophy. I believe also that I understand it uh, tolerably well. All this I do easily and naturally. My head does not suffer from it. But on the other hand, when I have to think about Abraham, I'm as though annihilated. He just can't understand what is going on. Why would God do this? Why would God ask this of a father? What is happening here? And he wrote a whole piece of work on it um, 
called Fear and Trembling, and I encourage you to read that, but um, it is a challenge. And I think some of the answer, and I need to get past that doubt and that question so that we can enjoy what God has for us in the story itself, but some of it can be found in the nature of the scriptures. And um, yeah, so I'm just going to move through this. The Hebrew scriptures are written in sort of a rabbinic style. And there's some helpful tips on how we can move past that doubt and question and confusion um, by learning about the style of a Hebrew or rabbinic style of communication. Questions and wrestling are welcome. So if the text messes with you, if you're looking for absolute clarity, why is it this way? What's the answer? What's the solution? Then you came to the wrong kind of text, especially in the Hebrew text it's supposed to have some ambiguity and some challenge. And so if you have doubts or confusion, that's a good sign. You're noticing what you're supposed to be noticing and you're supposed to cry out to God and keep on reading and keep on finding the interconnectedness because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to drive you deeper. Asking questions of God, just like I told in the story about Sodom and Gomorrah just a moment ago, is welcomed. This is the scriptures want you to wrestle. So it's working if it's messing with you. Learning through the lack of clarity, same kind of idea. Uh, a, a rabbi would often, with his disciples, would tell a story that was really confusing or really ambiguous, and then he would ask his students, well, what do you see? And they would analyze it, and they would talk. And in the, in the rabbinic mind or in the Hebrew mind of teaching, unlike in the West where we say, just tell me the answer, <laughs> that's not teaching to a rabbi. Teaching to a rabbi is getting the answer into my students. And so they would intentionally leave ambiguity and confusion and doubt so that you wrestle with it long enough to actually have it transform you from the inside out. So that's some of what's going on. Uh, object lessons, another great way of doing this is rather than just telling them the solution, they would show them through a story or make them go on some sort of experience so that they would get the idea into their bones. So I'm not going to spend much more time on the issue of child sacrifice uh, right now, but that's some of what's going on in this text. It's supposed to mess with us a bit, and that's okay. But I think we can learn a lot about it. Hey, if you're anything like me, uh, sometimes walking with God gets a, a little bit confusing, and I, uh, I try to say, hey, I, think, I think God wants me to go do this and come over here and acknowledge him there, and then it goes horribly wrong. I'm like, oh, did I mishear, misunderstand? Or oh, maybe it's this thing, and I, I pursue that, and then I find out it goes wonderfully. And I'm like, okay, this is what God's plan is for me. And then I try that same method again, and it falls apart. And sometimes it seems like there's like this back and forth, and sometimes following God and hearing his voice and figuring out what his will is and what his design is for us is a little bit confusing. And I think our story today shows a little bit of that. All of these little, little moments and snapshots into Abraham's life is a little bit of that, isn't it? It's trying to figure out, what, God, what are you up to? And I think our story today will give us some deep insight into that. All right. We're going to dive in. I'm going to approach this text a little bit different than I might some other sermons. Uh, we're just going to walk through it. But in order to do that, we have right off the bat a great example of this interconnectedness. So, and that's the story just prior in chapter 21 actually mirrors the uh, design structure. There's a chiasm or an ABC structure, like outline structure, both in this text and in 
Genesis 21, the, the uh, Hagar story, are almost identical in structure. And let me show you what that looks like. Actually, let me pray just briefly before we continue. Jesus, as we walk through this passage, would you quicken our hearts and give us insight? Help us to arrive at your design and your heart for us and for your people. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so chapter 21, God gives instructions. So Sarah says, hey, we need to send Hagar out. She's messing with me and all this stuff. And so God says, yeah, obey that, send her away. So this is a, his son, Abraham's son, Ishmael, gets sent out into the wilderness. Then in this chapter, God gives an instruction. Send out your son, give up your son. Then we find out food and provisions are placed on her shoulders and she's sent out. Sacrifice materials are taken. These are just a, t- a fraction of the connections. I just, these are the ones I could fit on the screen. The journey takes place, 2114. In our text, journey 22, four through eight. Ishmael's about to die. Isaac about to die. Angel of God calls out. This is all very unique language to these two stories. Angel of God calls from heaven. That's a rare com- a comment. And then angel of God calls out from heaven, 2211. Do not fear. God hears, now I know you fear God. God provides, God provides. So the author, the narrator is trying to communicate that these stories are connected. And actually, I don't have time to get in all the details. Every story and every little kind of snapshot of Abraham's life that I told this morning has been tied contextually to little word clues through this story here. So all of it is woven together. That's why I started that way. And so, uh, but think about this. Abraham sacrifices a son. Abraham sacrifices a son. It's a son of his effort and his attempt to fulfill the promise and then a son of God's promise. You see what's going on. All right, we're gonna walk through the passage and see some of the cool connections here. So sometime later, the God in the Hebrew is a strange construction for God. It's actually a a subtle hint to go back to the previous verses. And and at the very end of chapter 21, we read this in 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Sometime later, the God, or the eternal God that I just named. That's a one way that, it, that uh, an author would say, I want you to know that this is the kind of God that we're talking about. It's the eternal God. So sometime later, the eternal God tested Abraham. No, we get a hint. Abraham doesn't get this hint. We get to say, oh, he's going into a test. Buckle up. Abraham doesn't know quite yet that this is a test. He just knows that it's gonna be challenging. He said to him, Abraham, here I am or in the Hebrew, Hineni. And this word is, uh, this little phrase is actually a powerful thing because it gives infrastructure to the entire narrative. Uh, Over and over again, as if you pay attention, you're gonna see, here I am, here I am, here I am, over and over. It's a way of the narrator wanting to point out that Abraham is kind of figuring some things out in relationship to God. He's starting to tune in to God's heart and to God's voice. And so this is the narrator's way of saying, Abraham's posture is God speaks. Here I am. I'm listening. I'm I'm paying attention. I'm dialed in. 
It's a way that the narrator can communicate that this is kind of the posture that Abraham has. And you can see why after those other stories and all the missteps he's made. Then God said, take your son, your only son. Well, wait a minute. I already have a son. So what's going on here? Well, God's trying to communicate a couple of different things probably uh, to Abraham here in this text. He says, take your son. This is very affection, emotionally charged language. Take your son, your only son. Yes, I know you, you have another son. I get it. But this is the son of promise. So one, that other son is not the son of promise. Um, but it's also the son of your flesh and blood and your wife's flesh and blood. This is actually a promise that's really dear to you. Remember, Abraham's been hunting for the promise, fighting for the promise, seeking the promise. Now I want you to take this promise and let go. You thought you were pursuing a promise? Let it go. That's the son I want you to take, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Now, Moriah is a, has a root term for, uh, it's related to the verb ra, to see in the Hebrew, which actually ties into the place that Abraham first visited when he left his family and people in the beginning of the story that I told. He went to the, man, the land of Moreh, there, the land of God's seas. Here, he says, I want you to go to that place. And so God's calling him back. You were faithful then, be faithful now, and I will see to you. Sacrifice him on the, as a burnt offering or a, an ole offering. This is a wild connection because um, one of the things that's going on here is uh, this text is actually written approximately the same time frame as Leviticus and the rest of the Pentateuch. Uh, now that's contested. Scholars disagree on that to some extent, but for our purposes, I'm just going to uh, take that stance and not get into textual criticism for you this morning. But ole is a name of one of the uh, styles of offerings that God commands in Leviticus. It means the going up offering. And so one of the things that's going on here is uh, when, when the people of Israel are reading Leviticus about sacrificial law, they're reading this and they hear Ole and they're like, oh, I remember this from the Abraham story. Let me learn a little bit more about what's the sacrifice all about by reading the Abraham story. And they're connected and they're supposed to be read in connection with each other. And one of the things that's going on with Ole offering is it's a going up offering. It's different than some of the other offerings because it was seen that the gift or the offering, the Oelet offering, was actually rising to the presence of God. This was, this was literally the smoke. When it would rise up into the sky, it, would, uh, it was like saying that this offering is showing up in the presence of God. So what he's saying is, uh, Isaac, I want you to give him back to me. I want him to rise up and back to my presence. I gave him to you, and I want you to to give him back. Sacrifice him on the burnt offering, Ole, on the mountain I will show you. And that immediately, if you've been saturating in the scriptures, you should feel that language show up. It shows up here in Genesis chapter 12. We just told the story. The Lord said, go out, go away from your country and your people and your land. That's the very first story I opened with, to the land I will show you. So it's like God's little hint. Remember, that's the faith. That's the faith it took to leave your family and your, and your household and all of that stuff. I'm asking you to step it up again. So here's a little hint. We've done this before. And you pass the test then, let's continue to pass the test. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, he went, he loaded the donkey, he took him, uh, the two of his servants and his son Isaac when he had 
cut enough wood, and this is um, this word wood is uh, eight. It means tree, and it actually calls back to the tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. And if you uh, hold with me for a second. And then on the third day, this is the first time third day shows up. That'll become interesting in the interconnectedness to the New Testament when, when Christ rises again from the dead on the third day. That's connected to this story as well. Um, then on the day Abraham uh, looked up and saw a place in the distance, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham looked, and the wood, or the tree, he took the tree. Or the word, actually, the phrase there in the Hebrew is identical to when Eve reaches out and took the fruit from the tree. So uh, this is a little subtle clue. What's going on with this test? Warning, 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 the fall of man. It's on the horizon. Warning, we should be reading this warning here. So for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife or weirdly, the word used for knife here is a very strange way, word for knife. It actually, he said, it means himself carried the fire and he took the eating or the food. He took the fruit. This is the word that's used here. It's this subtle way. Now the word eating there, it's you know, like a knife could eat of the flesh. It's not completely uh, foreign to use that word for, for a knife, but there's way better, easier words to use. And then the two, same exact phrase, the two shall become one flesh. The two of them went on together. And so the author is trying to hint, hey, look back, look back at Genesis where the fall of man took place. There's this tree and there's this reaching forth and then there's this eating of the fruit. And then the two of them will become one. They went on as one. Isaac spoke up. And this phrase is kind of funny to me, and not, not funny, but uh, it, it sort of gets this picture of they're going up the mountain, and, and Abraham is talking about everything. He's like, uh, uh, what about the game last night? And, uh, you know, and what about the politics? And on and on. He's trying to distract his son from what's going on. And then his son says, hey, 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 <laughs> dad, daddy, what's going on here? <laughs> Stop trying to distract me. It's sort of an interrupting kind of word. And he says, the last thing that Abraham wants to hear. Daddy. There it is. Hanani, here I am. Not only am I here, Johnny on the spot, listening for God's voice, I'm gonna stay here for you, Isaac. And he calls him son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, we get some insight into what's going on in Abraham's head. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and then the narration slows way down. Up until this point, we've got this sort of moving pace of the narr narration. It's like they do this and they do this and then they have a couple of days and on and on and on. And now it slows to a halt. And it's, I can imagine filming this. It kind of is almost slow motion. Little details here and there. Abraham built an altar. He arranged the wood on it. He bound 
Isaac, and that's the word akedah, and this is what um, Hebrew scholars call the story. It's the binding of Isaac, not the sacrifice of Isaac. I think they're a little bit more accurate because Isaac doesn't get sacrificed. So the bound, binding or the akedah of Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And the language here, laid him on, laid him on the altar, almost exactly the same phraseology as Leviticus when they're talking about the sacrificial system. He wants to call them back to this. So then he reached out his hand and he took the food, or he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Hanani, he replied, do not lay your hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram. He caught by its thorns. He went over and he took the ram and he uh, made a going up offering of it instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so I have very little time left to, to continue, but I, I feel like we need to ask the question, did Abraham pass the test? Did he pass the test? And I think we get some insight into this. Uh, we get to cheat because we have the New Testament. And the New Testament says that, yeah, he passed the test. This is Romans chapter four, verses three and five. It says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what credited it to him? Believing God. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as, the, as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to righteousness. So my answer is, Yes and no. He believed. So when he set out to sacrifice his son, he had this inclination. Remember, he told his servants, my son and I will go and we're gonna both come back. So he had this recognition that this is probably not how it's gonna work. He already knew that the promise was through Isaac. He already knew that God was good. He started to figure that stuff out, but he didn't know how it was gonna work. And so he passed the test of belief. But I think there was another test. I think God was trying to communicate that he's a different kind of God. See, the Canaanite gods around him, many of them had practiced child sacrifice. It was a very common practice in his day. And I think God's lesson for Abraham was, I'm not like those gods. And I'm kind of hoping that just like you spoke up in Sodom and Gomorrah, on the behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, you should have questioned me. When I asked you for your son, you should have spoken up because you, you should be catching on to the fact that I'm not this kind of God. And so Abraham has the faith and trusts God's outcome. We know from the New Testament and another passage that he thinks maybe his son will be resurrected again. But either way, I think it was a partial pass. He got a C on his test because God is the provider, not us. He wanted to communicate, yeah, Ishmael, that was the child of all of your work. Ishmael, that was the child of you trying really, really hard to make the promise come alive. But Isaac is my promise. And 
And I want you to know that my character is not the kind of character that asks for child sacrifice. We know this later on in the Pentateuch, we, uh, child sacrifice is condemned. Later in the prophets, child sacrifice is condemned. We know that this is not God's heart for his people. And so the ultimate um, lesson was maybe not a, a pass. And he should have spoken up. I'm actually going to ask the team to come up and um, we're going to go into a time of communion. But I want to read this passage as we go into a time of communion. In Luke 22, 19 through 20, we read about this table that we're going to come to. And Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remember of me, in remembrance of me. In other words, eat this food. This is the food you're allowed to take and eat. You're allowed to take and eat my provision, my provision. I don't want you to take and eat of your effort, your attempt to create my promise. I promised it, I will follow through on that promise. And so God also wanted to communicate that what is his provision? Not that he just fulfills the promise, but he fulfills the promise with his own life. And just like Isaac took the tree on his shoulders or the wood on his shoulders and he climbed up a hill, Jesus willingly, knowingly took the cross on his shoulders and he climbed up the hill of Calvary and he willingly laid on the altar and he says, I'm the one that takes the hit. I'm the one that fulfills the promise. You can stop trying to muster my promises. Let go, surrender. Surrender to my plan and surrender to my heart for your journey. So the team's gonna come, or they're, they're, you're gonna sing this song over us about surrender and, and I want you to just go ahead and stand now and we're gonna come to the communion table. And when we take this bread and we take this cup, it's in remembrance that God took this on his shoulders. That he's not the kind of the God like the gods of, of the Canaanites. He's the God who provides. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. And thanks for listening. We hope you have a great rest of your day.